Aloha and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will begin a new message entitled, God's Subtle Wisdom. We're still in the book of Ephesians, this time Ephesians chapter 3. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. We're talking about what I call God's subtle wisdom, although when Paul writes about it, he says, in the King James, it says God's manifold wisdom. This translation gets a little bit closer to it because it talks about God's wisdom in all of its variety, and that's what is really the intent of the original language, is that God comes at you from different angles. That God has has a lot of ideas, a lot of things in store for you, and you don't always know exactly what he's doing, but as he reveals himself to you, you begin to realize there are so many parts of my life that interlock and that, that, that come together. There are things that God planned for me before I knew that he was even in my life, uh, before I knew he had a plan for me. And, you know, I talk to so many people, they'll, they'll talk about some terrible thing that happened in their days before knowing the Lord, some terrible thing they did. And then they realize that, that God used it. it. It set them up to be the people that they needed to be. And, and so we, we're going to look at that just a little bit. But as, as we look at this, getting into it, it's the Apostle Paul talking. And the first part I called chosen despite failures. And it just, I want to reinforce grace. He says, just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the least deserving Christian there is, I was chosen for this special joy of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. I'd like for you to underline three phrases there. One is where it says, though I did nothing to deserve it. The second where it says, maybe four phrases, least deserving Christian. And then the third phrase would be, chosen for this special joy. And the fourth would be, chosen to explain to everyone this plan. And we'll go on from there. You know, the Apostle Paul had um, one qualification for ministry to the Gentiles that most Jewish people who were in his very high social position and high position in terms of the religious calendar of events didn't have going for them, and that is that he grew up in a Gentile country. So he was born to do the thing that God would call him to do, though he fought against it and he didn't understand it as we go along. But he talks about being the least deserving Christian that there is. And, and I, I, I want to just give you a couple of other scriptures. Scriptures. One is in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And it, and it tells us that none of us came to the Lord because of anything that we did to deserve a relationship with God or deserve to go to heaven or deserve to have God answer our prayers. All of us came to the Lord, it says, by grace through faith. Now let me tell you a little story. I'm, on uh, Thursday, I went to the city and county uh, satellite city hall in Kaneohe. And as I was standing in line, the line was really long when I got in there. The people in the line were getting heated. Everybody was upset that the line was taking so long. 
And as, as I started moving, I finally get to the, to the front of the line. And I, I realized that stand, sitting right in front of me is a woman from our church. And uh, she's on the other side of the desk. And I'm thinking, I'm going to her because I know that, uh, you know, that, that, that whole motor vehicle thing can be a little rough. And I was overdue on my car registration and all of that. And so I, I'm waiting, and there's this, there's this really sweet lady sitting there, and she's had a stroke, and, she's, and it's really affected her. She's in a wheelchair. Her neighbor's helping her get one of those handicapped things for her car. And she's talking to the lady, and she keeps confusing her name. Is it this or is it this? And, and then calling her baby. And, and, she, and she's there for probably 35 or 40 minutes. And, uh, and, none of the, and then they were closing some of the other windows. And so the people in line are getting pretty aggravated and it's going on. And, but I'm thinking, I, I'm going to just wait for this person who's waiting on her because she goes to my church. And I'm thinking if, she, if, if another window opens, I'm going to let somebody else pass me because I'm waiting to, for this spot. Well, all of a sudden she's done waiting on the lady and she reaches over and she takes a little sign that goes, this window is closed and plops it down. <laughs> and I go... So what? You're not even going to wait on your pastor? And she goes, oh, I didn't see you there. Boom, the thing goes away. That's called grace. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but I got special treatment. And that's exactly what this is talking about when we come to the Lord through grace. You didn't do anything to deserve it, but God gave you special treatment. He loved you because he chose to love you. It operates through faith. If I hadn't spoken to her or if I hadn't walked up to her window, I wouldn't have exercised faith. We exercise faith and become Christians simply by saying, Lord, I take you at your word. I want what you have. Does that make sense to you? Okay, let's go a little further. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I gave you a couple of scriptures here, 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul tells why he feels that he's the least deserving Christian there is. And that's because he spent several years on a mission to eradicate Christianity. He was out arresting people, and we know at least one of them was murdered because of their faith in Jesus. And, and, and Paul, his name before was Saul of Tarsus, presided over that crime. And so he would see himself as somebody who is the least of all the Christians and doesn't have a whole lot of value, but God uses him anyway. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we add on to this, and it says that every one of us is not saved by doing good works. That's verses 8 and 9. But we're saved unto good works that we should walk in them. In other words, God has a plan for your life and it involves you getting off the bench and into the game. The problem with Christianity in America is that it's become a spectator sport. We all sit and listen to somebody talk every weekend and then we all go home and say, oh, that was a wonderful sermon. And, 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 we, and we try to live a good and godly life until Wednesday night when we get in mini church and we can get a little bit more filled up again with the Spirit. And, and, and we just kind of live that way. And not, uh, not as much happens as ought to happen in terms of the kingdom of God and us making a difference in the world around us because we kind of live that way. This church works really hard not to follow that model and to do a 24-7 thing, and we're accomplishing things that lots of other churches around us are not, and that's good, but I still think there's room for us to grow. And, and starting point is this verse, Ephesians 2.10, that says that, that we are called unto good works that we should walk in them. We, not me, 
we, all of us, there's God, God has a purpose, God has a plan for your life. You know, I, I used to always say this, find a need and fill it. You know, let the Holy Spirit show you what he would like for you to do, and then you get involved and you do it. And we're going to talk about some ways to do that in a couple of minutes this morning. The last scripture that I want to talk about under this this portion of the text is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And I'd like for you to leave something in your Bible in Ephesians because we're coming back. But go to Matthew. Uh, go backwards about 150 pages and you get to the end of Matthew. It's the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Do you remember my friend Corey Grinder that was here last Sunday? A real funny guy, and, and, and we heard here's a man who got involved in the church. He came to us already pretty much in his own strength trying to go out and change the world. I mean, the Corey that I knew then it was a very talented person, much more than he let you know. He, he, he played defensive back for UH when he was in, foot, in, in, in college. He played well in high school. He was like, you know, all-star. He was a model at the Liberty House. He did a lot of stuff. And as a matter of fact, John Honnold, who pastors Hope Chapel Coppola, did almost exactly the same things that Corey did. Uh, one played uh, on an offensive uh, team in football. The other played on the defensive squad. And in high school, they would bang heads, literally. They were both models for Liberty House, and they were both chasing the same girls. And they both disliked each other strongly. This rivalry had gone on for years. And they both ended up on our church staff. And just to tell you a little story, because we're all human, there was a day that we sat for four and a half hours. I got them across the table from me in a booth at a restaurant and wouldn't let them out. It's having to sit next to each other and go, so what's the beef? Nothing. I got no problems with him. You know, and after about 45 minutes of lying, uh, we got the problems on the table. And, and we ironed out the problems. And, and, and today, uh, John spends more time in Tokorozawa with Corey than I do. And those guys love each other dearly. And, but this, this whole process of God getting us into the game, what happens? How do we do this? And, and of course, not all of us are going to be a missionary or not all of us are going to be a pastor. But all of us are called to do something in the context of the world we live in. What is that? How do you know that? How do you find that? Well, start with, with this as a presupposition because Corey nailed me on Monday. I'm writing a book called Your Church Can Multiply, and it's how to do what we've done, and that's planting. There, You'll see on that board 156 church names. We're, we know we're over 300 because we've kept tally, but we're about to do this thing where we phone all the churches and say, how many churches have you started since we phoned you five years ago? And we always know the thing boosts by about 25% because they're out there doing things. And we don't govern them. We just help get them going and they help get more going. And so there's all this activity. I, I talked to my friend in Okinawa uh, 10 days ago, John Batsugalupo, our first church in Japan that we started. And they're starting a church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. At the same time, they're starting a church in Mindanao in the Philippines. Uh, Mindanao is such a bad place. You can't go to McDonald's, but there's a guy with an AK-47 standing at the door to defend you against radical Islamic people who would like to kill you if you're white. Uh, I'm in the hotel, 
And at the front door of the hotel, there's one guy with a sawed-off shotgun, one guy with an AK-47, and you go around to use, at, after dark, uh, you go around to use the elevator, which is deep in the middle of the hotel, and there's a guy standing there with a 357 Magnum in its shoulder holster right out in the open, and his whole job is to push the button and let you in the elevator and make sure somebody else doesn't get in the elevator. And, 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 and these guys in Okinawa are going in there and planting a church. So we got stuff going on all over, and it's exciting stuff. And, and, and so I'm writing a book about how you do this, and Corey, Corey just nails me, and he says, you're selling yourself short. You're selling the kingdom of God short. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, that book should not be about how to multiply a church. It should be about how to disciple a nation, because Jesus called us to disciple nations. Now, read this with me. In verse 18, he says, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. What does complete authority mean? I'm the boss. This is the Son of God talking. We're his followers. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, learners of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, committed people. He says, I have been given complete authority, therefore you go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to do what? To obey the commands the Lord gave, which are basically pretty simple. Love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you really get back and look at what he's saying, first is he's not saying make disciples in the nations. He's saying make disciples of the nations. Now, what is a nation? Well, if you actually look in the Greek word, he, he, he goes, make disciples of, in, of the ethne, which is a plural of the, of the singular ethnos. It's the word we get ethnicity from. And what it really means is a people group. Now, you, you could say that it's everybody who speaks a common language. Well, that works until you get to the world we live in where everybody speaks English besides something else. So you could say Japanese people are a people group. But you got inside of J Japan a group of people called the Burakamin, who are the, are the do you know J Japan has a caste system? The Ainu and the Burakamin are locked out of basic Japanese society. If your daughter is going to marry somebody, you go through this incredible registry back for 100 generations to make sure there's no Burakamin or Ainu in, in the thing, and, and it's just hideous. And the Ainu are a little different racially from the, the rest of Japan, but the Barakamin are the same as the rest of Japan racially, but they're just a group of people who have been cons consigned to do the dirty work in Japan for centuries. So they're a people group. Tragic, horrid, but that's a people group, and, and it's a group that we're actually working to reach in Japan. You go into the upper reaches of the Amazon, in the jungles, and you'll find places where there are people who live in a network of villages, and there's 700 people, and they have a language that's common to them, and no one else in the world speaks it or can understand it. That's an ethnos. Borakamin, that's an ethnos. It's a people group. And so Jesus said, in another place, he says, I won't even return until you've taken the gospel to every ethne, ethnos on earth, to all the ethne. And so he's called us but he's called us to disciple nations. Now, when Corey said that to me, it was like it flipped my world upside down. I mean, I knew it. I'd read it in the Bible, but he confronted me with it. And I, and I go, 
What would we be doing differently if we thought that we were to disciple nations? And then I begin to, to think in terms of, wait, 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 wait. We, we live in the midst of a very unique situation uh, in the state of Hawaii. We, we, we have enough aloha that though we're all different flavors, we've become a people group. And, we're, and, and I've got a brochure here that came on your chair this morning about how to disciple Hawaii, how to disciple Hawaii as a people group. We feel called as a church, we did from the very beginning, to do the kind of stuff in Japan that Corey Grinder's doing and to, to launch ministry. There's a, there's a young guy that, that is on one of our worship bands. He's just the most charismatic guy. Uh, it's Frank. And this guy, this guy boogies, you know, he gets up here and leads worship. He's jumping up and down and everything. But people get excited when they're around Frank. Frank went on a missions team this summer, came back and is changing his major at the university to English as a second language. He says, God's calling me to Japan. I'm going there. We're looking to start another hundred churches. But Corey's going, if we took this seriously, we'd be saying, what's our 50-year plan? We wouldn't be saying, what's our five-year plan? We'd be saying, what's our 50-year plan? What do we think that people ought to be walking in after we're dead? Because we're thinking of discipling the nations. Now, when you begin to engage that, what I'm talking about, and it gets off of a philosophic level, and you start to realize Jesus says, I have all authority, and you're my disciples, and I'm telling you to do this. Then, then it, it affects us in two ways. One is as a congregation. How, how would this concept of we are really called not just to plant a few hundred churches around the world. Stop, stop and think. You know, we're about the fourth largest church in the, in the state of Hawaii. There's one church that's at least five times as big as we are. But there's no church in Hawaii that has the global reach that we have. There's a couple of them that are waking up to the idea of doing this, but, but we've been doing this for years. We, and, and, and so we've done well, but never with the concept of you could really win the battle. You could really do the thing. When 96744 United Prayer came along, we started to think we could change Hawaii through prayer. There was a, a study came out in the, in the newspaper a couple days ago. Uh, Honolulu, or not Honolulu, Kaneohe including Kahalu, and some city in New Jersey, I believe, are the top two production centers of crystal meth in the, in, in the, in the United States of America. And we started praying, and God started rolling back some of this. But you know what? That was round one. We're in round two, and, and, no, and nobody's taking it real seriously. And, and, and the, the darkness will come back upon us if we don't keep praying. And so this idea of Discipling the nations would affect our priorities as a church. We're going into our, our annual staff planning calendar deal, and we're looking down to what are our three major goals for the next year? How do those fit with the concept of discipling a nation? Particularly when we think that one of the things that God did when he founded this church is called us to disciple Japan. And, and, and it's the only nation on earth where the church is going in reverse. Every other country, including Saudi Arabia, the church is growing. My friend Hal Jones that got up here and stories that he told, there's stories that he can't tell. Uh, the church is growing leaps and bounds in some radical Muslim countries. The church is shrinking in Japan. Now our efforts are growing, 
but overall the church is shrinking. What can we do to get to other pastors and leaders to change their thinking so that we can go forward in Japan? What can, but then how do we as a church all fit into that? And this is where it gets to the second level. Where do I as an individual fit into that? I want you to stop and think about that if, you, if you're, you know, there, I have two little boys, both around 10, 11 years old, I'm not sure, that both have announced to me that, that they're after my job. They're going to be the pastor of this church someday. Well, they might be. Or they might end up in Corey's job. Or they might end up becoming an attorney that begins to influence the way that we live in Hawaii. Or they might be uh, in the state legislature. They might end up on the school board. Some of our high school kids, you know, one of them might end up being governor one day. You don't know. We can influence Hawaii by doing stuff that influences lives of individuals and it makes a difference. Does that make sense? There's a man named Roy Helzer that profoundly marked my life when I was in the fourth grade. He was my Sunday school teacher. Nobody's ever going to write a book about Roy Helzer. But I want you to know that Roy Helzer has a whole lot to do with what's going on right here today. It's all... Who are the Roy Helzers among us? You know, what can we do? And so I, I, I want you to, to, to think about this. But, but as we do this, I'm, I want to talk. i got to watch the clock. i got plenty of time today. I want to I talk to you about is it possible to disciple a nation? Is it, is it even in the realm of possibility? And, and, I, and I want you to, to, to go a couple places with me in, in history. And I want to talk a little bit about the church. And then I'll end up the message. Is it possible to disciple a nation? Well, Christianity was repressed under Roman rule for, for three centuries. But as they were forced down, persecuted, beaten up, killed, they died with such dignity and commitment and love to the Lord that they won their oppressors. And by the fourth century, Rome had become a, a Christian empire. So is it possible to disciple a nation? Yeah. In about the 6th century, some people from Germany, and they, they had various names, the Vandals, the, the Goths, the Visigoths, there's several other name, tribal names of people who used to, every year when the Rhine River would freeze, be able to cross the Rhine, come down, make raids in southern Europe, rape people, steal stuff, kill people, go home. But in 505... They came and stayed, and they conquered Rome. And they devastated all of southern Europe and the Mediterranean. They tore down buildings. If you see all the pictures in archaeology, and, and you see how the, you know, there used to be, the statues are all broken, or the, the columns are all pushed over. You know why? Because of the vandals. That's where we get the word vandalism. The Goths, the Visigoths, they just destroyed stuff. They took special delight, they were illiterate, and they took delight in burning books, which were largely scrolls, although somebody had invented by that time what we would see as a book, what they called codex, where they'd take pieces of papyrus, we get our word paper from this stuff, a, a leaf that grows in Egypt, and they would write on it, and then they would sew it together to bind it. And, and, they, and they were burning books all over the, the, the civilized world. And uh, right around... 525 A.D., 
a, a young man who had actually been a slave in Ireland, escaped, went home to England, became a Christian, came back to Ireland as a missionary. We call him St. Patrick, and somehow we celebrate his birthday by everybody getting drunk, and I don't know what that has anything to do with anything. Established, he came as a missionary to Ireland, preached the gospel, established monasteries, and those monasteries really were human printing presses. You get 50 guys in a room, and it, it, they all have paper or sheepskin or something and a, and a quill pen and a bottle of ink. And one guy is very slowly reading the scripture or very slowly reading Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey or something. And everybody is copying it as they go and they become human printing presses. And, and they say literally these people rescued civilization. The documents, the concept of law, the concept of of, of democracy and a republic that the Greeks had developed, all of that would have been gone. The Bible would have disappeared if it wasn't for these people copying this stuff in around 525 to 600 A.D. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 